Good morning. I was getting this word together. I've preached on this quite a few times, the Great Commission. But there's so much in it. But I've called this the, the Believer's MOT Check. And when I get a word, it's for me. So I offend myself before I offend anybody else. Is that okay? But um, sometimes, you know, in your walk, you, you kind of drift or, or you lose that, that desire, that burning desire, or the love seems to just kind of fade at times. And, but I always find that the Lord always gives you a crossroads and uh, the choice to take. You know, if you go down the wrong road, you know you're going to drift further away if you, if you take his road. This is the way walking in it. Um, you start to get in fire again. And, and what I do in my crossroads is usually where I, where I met the Lord and I go back to that, back to my room where I met Jesus Christ. And um, somehow everyone just seems to fit into place again and I, I get back on the walk again. And this is where this kind of word's from. It's the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, if you've got your Bible with you. It's the Great Commission. You know, I screamed in Jesus probably about 1989 in my room. I was a brought up Roman Catholic, and if I was sober enough, I would say my prayers at night. And I was always brought up to, to say my prayers and to, to, to have a reverence for God. I never knew God, but I knew of Him. I mean, for the age of five and maybe even earlier, I, I knew the nativity, I knew the gospel, the story of Jesus, we brought up it. But he was pie in the sky when he died. That's who God was to me. But one night I screamed. I was really empty. I was really bad with drink drugs and I, I was really empty inside. I felt I was dying. And I screamed in God, a God I didn't believe in. Because I could nobody else to scream with. And I screamed in God in my bed. And um, I remembered when I was uh, 10 years of age, it came flashing right into me that a teacher in the chapel asked us to give our lives to Jesus. I was 10 years of age, I thought it was weird. And, uh, but the whole class said this prayer and I remember it and it shot and I was about 26 years of age in a drunken, drug-filled state. This memory came back into my mind and I screamed on Jesus for everything I had. And uh, I just remember saying, Jesus came into my heart. Jesus came into my heart. Well, nothing happened. My life didn't change, but two years later, God came into my room and touched me and my mate in quite miraculous way. And my life was changed. And the Bible opened up to me. I had a wee Gideon Bible, um, King James on as well. And uh, this fairy story became personal too. These piles of stories for yesteryear that meant nothing to me became so real and so personal, it was unbelievable. I remember saying to myself, I can't believe I believe this. Even God gives you a gift of faith. And um, But some of these scriptures that I've got today are, are back in that time, 23 years ago, in my room, when I just read the word of God and believed it. I had to do it. Uh, my whole life had changed but it was a scary thing and the words were scary they weren't the repetitive words that I sometimes hear in church today they don't really mean anything to me at times to be honest um, 
But if I can try and get you to take you back to that time in my room when Jesus Christ asked me to follow him and I knew what that meant. I was wrapped up in Republicanism and, and Northern Ireland and stuff and and my whole belief system was nothing to do with the gospel. And I knew if I followed Jesus Christ I knew what I was in for. Um, the, I knew the persecution that would come. And there were scary times when I mean, God speaks to you and you know it's sin and you find out God's real for the first time in your life. He's actually introduced himself to you. It's incredible. The guy that made the universe wants to speak to you. It just blows you away. And when he speaks you need to listen and, and he asks you to follow him and you've got a choice to make and you know the consequences. That's, that's the kind of background of where, where this word is. So the Great Commission is Matthew 28 and verse 16. Then the the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's a word. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, if you were reading along with me there, you'd have seen I made a mistake. Because it says, teaching them to obey Everything. Not just teach them. Teach them to obey. Everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you. Always to the end of the age. You see it's about obedience to his commands. It's not just about hearing it. Getting taught about it. It's actually obeying what he told you. He's told you. You see when he speaks to us we just do it. And at that time in my life... I had a choice to either just try and somehow forget that God's real or just obey what he tells me, what he tells me or whatever he's told me or whatever he tells me to do. You know, <clears throat> a couple of years ago I became 50. I don't know, there are 50 year olds in here. It's one of the weird ages. 40's different. 40's one of the celebration ones. 50's one of the milestone ones. I don't mean milestone on your next stuff, but it's one of the ones that you start to look back. You never done that at 40. But at 50 you start to reminisce, you start to <laughs> you start to kinda of look back a wee bit and anyway. Your if, if only start to come flying into your mind, you know, if only they'd done this, if only they'd done that. You start to have wee bits of regret, you start to look back. But then you think, oh, here are you, have you minute here? I'm 50. How long have I got left? <laughs> and you start to look forward and go, oh, there's a lot less than there was behind <laughs> A lot less than there was behind me here. So then you start to try and get your life in order somehow and uh, put things into perspective. But then I've been again to the scriptures, you know, Apostle Paul. And Timothy 4, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And I think to myself, 
I hope to have you done that. Doubt it very much. You know, can we, can we ask ourselves that? Can we say that that's, that's what we've done? Have I fought a good fight? Have I finished the race? Have I kept the faith? And I don't think so myself, I'm being honest with you. I'm too wrapped up myself, too selfish and all the rest of it. Um, my wee <coughs> plans of mice and men at times just fall by the wayside and that because half it's no God's will. And I'm constantly looking for God's will. And then you start to think, wait a minute, the things I haven't done, I've not got that much time to cram them all. <laughs> cram them all. I know my bucket list too long, and I've not got enough time to fill it. And it seems to be all about me. You know, when, it, when life starts staring you, and if you start to think about me, 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 myself, and I. But you know, life, is it about me? Is life all about me? Is it all about us? You see, so many of us think this timeline, this movie is all about us, and it's not. If we look at the beginning of time, this kind of movie, if we take ourselves a look at it as a kind of movie, where do we fit into this movie? Is it all about us? Because in the beginning of Genesis, God makes everything. You notice the main character here is with God. God made everything. There's no mention of us there. And then it talks about the rebellion, man's rebellion and the flood and uh, the several generations later you've got Abraham, 99 year old man. God makes him the father of all nations. They mention me in there. Still nothing to do with us yet. And then there's Joseph and Moses and God picks them and directs them through the Old Testament and that. But people always rebel. So God then sends the judges and the prophets. And because people kind of give them the one thing that he wants, obedience. <coughs> Still there. The climax of the movie is the Son of God is born and he lives among his people. And he still loves, even though they're disobedient. And Jesus teaches his followers what true love is like. The Son of God dies, is resurrected, goes back to be with his Father. The movie at the end gives us this wee snippet in Revelation to the throne room of God in heaven, where every being on earth bows down and worships the throne. For he alone is to be praised. Amen. So if we start to finish this movie, it's all about God. God's the main character. So why do we live our lives as if we think it's all about us? Our brief life falls between the time Jesus ascends and he having an axe and then that wee snippet at the end in Revelations when we bow down and worship him in the throne room. You know throughout time there's somewhere between 45 and 125 billion people have actually walked and lived on this earth. You've only got about half a second. You've got about half a second in this movie. You put it into perspective. What do you do with that half a second? Your wee cameo role in this movie is about half a second. 
what are you going to do with that? I'd like my half a second to be much about the man, the star of the movie. About God. Man. Here's a sober thought. Don't I depress you, though? Give or take a few decades here. In about 50 years' time, most people won't even remember you. Mostly everyone you know will be dead. Dead curious, one or another. Certainly nobody will care what job you had, or what car you drove, what clothes you wore, what school you went to. Scary that your reality check, isn't it? 50s murder, isn't it? <laughs> I like to share some of these scriptures I had 23 years ago. I said, I need to take you back to my room in the first weeks. Three weeks of just reading the Bible. Hiding it from my mommy every time she went in there, came into the room. Because my mommy thought I was a lunatic anyway. So she sees me reading the Bible, that's me getting sectioned. So I had to hide it from her. Um, Realising that God wanted to communicate with me. And back then God's words were so powerful. Because I knew if I wanted a relationship with a loving God, I had to obey what he said. There was no shortcuts. There was no way getting around it. I had to just obey. If I wanted a relationship with this guy that made the universe, he wanted to know me, I had to listen and obey. I knew nothing about hermeneutics. Nothing. <laughs> I didn't know how to exegete a passage. <coughs> I didn't know how to put the scripture in its right context. I read the Gospels like a 12 year old laddie reading a story. I was 28. See, God had given me this Damascus Road experience in my room. This book came alive. And the words in it were so personal to me, it was unbelievable. Jesus was in the room asking me to follow him. He was telling me I was arguing with him. I was bouncing at half balls. I was saying, I can't. Eat. You know what's going to happen to me? He went, They crucified me. You can't take the persecution. And I went through all this arguing with God for three weeks and him telling me what to do. And Jesus is speaking directly to me out of this Bible. But I had a decision to make. I could simply obey or disobey. I remember I myself thinking, I just, it's just the drugs, it's just this, it's that. I thought I was on a drug when I actually got touched with God. I thought my mate had spiked me with LSD. But this was three weeks later. I took drugs for years. I know this isn't LSD. I know this is something spiritual. I hadn't been to a church. I hadn't spoke to anybody about it. This was me and God in my room. And I kept arguing, this has nothing to do with me. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. I never put you in the cross. It's not my fault. Leave me alone, it's not me. I've not done anything though. He said it was your sin that put me on the cross. And I would argue. And then he would give me these scriptures. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, said to me, in Matthew 16, 24, 25, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Take up their cross and follow me. Do you know even back then I knew what he meant? I knew nothing about 
even the, even the priest used to read the Bible out, not really explain it. At mass, I knew nothing, and I understood what he meant. Everything that I believed in, everything I pinned my hopes on, everything my causes and all the rest, I had to go. I had to deny the law to it and follow Jesus Christ. In John 14, 23, 24 it says, If anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to my Father who sent me. These are the words I was getting in my room. They're so personal. Mark 8.35 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I didn't need to go to Bible college to understand these words. If I spoke to anybody out in that stay out there they would understand them. Because these are plain and simple. It's a no-brainer. It's a choice. It's a fork in the road. God was giving me it. Taking up my cross and denying myself. If I loved him, I would obey him. Losing my life in order to gain it. These are very straight passages. Straightforward. I completely understood them. I knew what I had to do. And I can tell you, I was petrified. I was terrified. I knew it was coming and I didn't think I had the bottle for it because deep down I was a coward you see when you read the Bible when you read the, the, the Gospels without analysing them it's just plain and simple you give up everything for Jesus and for the Gospels sake that's what it says the Gospels basically giving up everything to follow Jesus Christ some people claim you can be a Christian without being a disciple doesn't matter, you don't need to really but just believe you're alright Jesus' last words to disciples were this go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all he commanded there's nothing there's nothing in there about just become a Christian you know the people like they get to go to heaven without any sacrifice or commitment or anything. Commit to anything. You see, when I was in my room, and this is what I need to get over, I knew nothing really about the gospel. I wasn't really trying to save my own skin. I was confronted with a living God who asked me to follow him. My focus wasn't about being saved from hell. I suddenly knew there was a God and that he was real and that he was worthy of falling nothing to do with trying to save my skin for hell I knew nothing about that I just knew the creator wanted to speak to me and if he knew me and asked me to follow him I had a decision to make not trying to save my skin for hell but to follow a saviour who died for me And I knew I would need to give up everything. I need to follow him in obedience. I knew what my life was like without him. I really didn't know what my life was going to be with him. 
I knew nothing. But I knew one thing I had to do. I was going that way, and I had to make an about turn, 180 degree turn, and go that way. Not just a wee sidestep, a complete turnaround in my life. And that was a scary thing. A complete new direction. Turning them away from what I knew, who I was, and what I used to do. And I'd be following this Jesus into an unknown scary life. No matter what people would say or how they would act towards me, that would be the consequences. I would deny myself, take up my cross, means dying to self. You see, the people in first century Palestine knew exactly what that meant. The context of this word, they knew exactly what it meant when they read it. They knew when they took up their cross, they knew when they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Was they done in a wee corner? We sinners pray in the corner. When they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord instead of Nero, Caesar as Lord, they knew exactly what was going to happen to them. Somebody would put a cross on their back and they would walk out of the hill. They would walk outside of the, 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 the town. They may have been put into the arena to be slaughtered by some gladiator or through the lines. They might be torched, sent fire, whatever. But they knew that their life was ending. They knew when they walked out there with a cross they weren't coming back. They weren't going out there to get their lives redirected. They were out there to end their life. That's what the cost was of denying yourself, taking up your cross back in the context. It meant death. And they weren't coming back. To follow Jesus meant joining him and identifying with him in his suffering in order to experience his resurrection life. You see, repentance today is made cheap by people like me preaching. Watering the gospel down. Give somebody a wee golden ticket in the corner and tell them that's that. See, I've worked outreach for a long time. And I've seen the effects of this inoculation of the false gospel in people's lives. I've seen people disappear and come back out of jail and come to me and say, Jimmy, Jesus doesn't work. I said your sinner's prayer. Nothing harmed. Back in the jail again, my life's still rubbish. Nothing's happening. Can't get off the drugs. And I said to them, did you deny yourself? Did you take up your cross? Did you follow him? Did you repent? No, tell me just to say a sinner's prayer. And then what do we do? We give them false hope. And then they deny the power of Jesus Christ in their life. Because they've been fed the false gospel. Somebody gave them a gold ticket. And I pray to God that they didn't get handed a gold ticket. And that their life is a life of repentance. And power with Jesus Christ. See some prayers are like this. Dear Jesus, do you want to join me in my life of destructive relationships, addiction of this and that sin, etc. I will all kind of just coexist together. That's the kind of prayers really in somebody's heart sometimes when they go and do that. But they're not confronted that you actually need to repent of your sin, which means a 180 degree turnaround and walk away for your life. Deny yourself. 
take up his cross and follow him that's what it means to be a Christian today but we watered it down see salvation was bought at a great price and sometimes you can make it worthless see it's tantamount to two men sitting in a cafe discussing how to rob a bank get money for nothing get something for nothing that's what it's like instead of giving their life to Jesus they've added them to their life I'll go to church I'll tick all the right boxes I'll meet nice people I'll do this I'll look the part you see I believe when people give their lives to God in exchange for this ticket out of hell there's often no change or direction in their life trying to get something for nothing so there's no real change which is what re- true repentance is true repentance is completely turning away walking the other way people this works for me this morning I'm not pointing the finger at anybody but it's God's word and it's the truth but it's for me if all you want is a little bit of Jesus in your life to spiritualise your life a little bit of God to get you out of hell when you're missing out, then you're missing out in the fullness of the life, the life you were created for. I totally believe that. Not only this, I can tell you, you don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't need them if you just want to have a nice, clean, moral life. You don't need the Holy Spirit. See, there are plenty of good religious people out there who do. Really nice people who do kind deeds. Very charitable people, lovely people. And they do it quite nicely without the Holy Spirit in their life. You see, I believe you only need the power of the Holy Spirit and His guidance if you truly want to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Because it's a narrow path we run, not a broad road. It's a narrow way. It's a hard way. You only need him if you desire to obey everything that he commanded. And then teach others to do the same. You really need the Holy Spirit for that. Matthew 28 does say, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. I heard this statement, don't go upset me, that Christians are like manure. In a nice way. See, spread them about and they make things grow better. If you're in the gardening, you know what I'm talking about here. If you're not in the garden, if you've got slabs just like that, man, go. <laughs> if you've a little manure, you spread it around, it makes things grow better. But guess what? When you heap it up in a pile, it stinks, doesn't it? Keeps its heat and it stinks, it's horrible. <laughs> Who are we? Are we going to be the manure when we spread about we make things grow better? Are we going to just all gather in we churches and heap it all up and stink horribly? And that's the that's the aroma we give off. You know it says we give off life or death? What kind of aroma are we giving off? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> But now that means we need to bring me break out our wee comfort zones. Us Christians that hide in churches at times. Maybe we need to break out our wee zones. 
use our precious time to serve other people. I'll give you my scary scripture. Or one of my scary scriptures. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. See, when I got that, within that three weeks span, I was reading the Bible. When I came across that, I never left my room. My mother was feeding me in my room as if I was a prisoner. I didn't even want to leave the room. Because I knew I had changed. I, could, I, I knew I was changed. And if somebody had to see me and ask me, what's wrong with you? I would deny him. I'm a coward. I would have denied Jesus Christ with a heartbeat. And I never left my room. I was petrified that people would see something in me that changed, that looked changed, and I would uh, deny him. And I just stayed in my room. End of. I just played my dinner at the door, man. I kid you not, I didn't want my mother to see me. That was, that was acceptable in my house. I was a kind of recluse for about two years. But that's, that's the power of the word of God. I knew that I would deny him because he was a coward. There's a story about an American man named Stan Gerlach. He's at a funeral and he gives a eulogy in the service and he decides to share the gospel. He's got an audience so he's a preacher. He wants to share the gospel. So at the end of the message he tells the mourners you never know when God's going to take your life. At that moment there's nothing you can do about it. And then he says to them he finishes with us are you ready? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you ready? Stan sat down true story Stan sat down fell over and died after he preached that thing. He died at a funeral. His wife and sons tried to revive him, but there was nothing they could do. Just as Stan had said when it's earlier, there's nothing you can do. So the pastor receives this call and he heads over to the family home. His party goes to the family home and Stan meets his wife and his kids and stuff and they're all grieving, they're all sobbing throwing their arms around the pastor and they're grieving and like that one of the Stan's sons gets out, he gets out of the car and he's sobbing and crying and he, he, he's saying did you know what happened? he said to the pastor, do you know what happened? and he tells the pastor that he's so proud of his dad he says my dad was doing what he loved doing best Tell people about Jesus. So the pastor asked everybody that was cars and all that, he asked them all to come into the house. So the pastor is asked to share a wee word with everyone gathered to kind of console them. And the whole family were gathered there, and the neighbours, and he opened the Bible at Matthew 10 32 and 33, the scripture. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The pastor then gets to imagine what it must have been like for Stan, right at that moment. One moment he was in a memorial service. The next he was before God. One moment he was in the, he, he, he was in the service saying to the crowd, this is who Jesus is. 
in the next days before God hearing Jesus say this is who stand Gerlachus one second he was confessing Jesus and the next second Jesus was confessing him because it happened that quick and it could happen to anyone else so Tommy, oh, you've got the fibula already when I've stopped <laughs> preaching, brother. <laughs> Some of you have actually been there. Anyway. And the words of Stan Gerlach, are you ready? You see, you heard the fibula. It's the word of God and obedience. And that will give anybody a joke. Separate them and it means nothing. The gather who creates life resuscitates a Christian I'm telling you spiritually so basically what I'm preaching is repentance you see the first gospel message Jesus ever preached was repent and believe you see you only, re- you only receive the Holy Spirit if you've genuinely repented and believed I asked Jesus Christ in my life probably a few times in my life when I was 10 when I was about 26 that happened to me in my room in uh, December 91 and I actually asked somebody to lead me to the Lord I went to a church had they been I wouldn't get near a church I was a, a bigot I wasn't a Catholic bigot I was just a bigot I went to near a church, Protestant church. But I went to this wee church some of my mates had went to. And it didn't look like a church, it just looked like a wee hut. So I went in there. And I grabbed the first guy that looked like a Christian. <laughs> Keith McPherson's his name. He's in my church. And I just grabbed him with the rest and I said, I need to get saved. Because I go to Romans in the Bible. They tell me that I had to get saved. <laughs> So I just done what they tell me to do. I had to confess in my mouth that Jesus was Lord, believe in my heart, and I did that. And I said, I need to get saved. And he went, oh, and he got a fright. And I said, don't worry, I'll pray with you later on, me, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat in this wee back room with sawdust and all that on the floor, and two chairs. The guy led me to Jesus, and I confessed Jesus as Lord on 19th of January, 1982. But I had to confess him. <clears throat> And he told me, hey, you know what you need to do? I went, oh aye, I need to go tell all my mates now that I'm a Christian. I met them, I met some of them, I went for a haircut on the, the Monday. And I met about eight of my mates, we got Lee. I was went home, but I run about all, everywhere. And I, I met all these guys and they were trying to sell me black tapes. And I just gave them money for a drink. And they're like, you want a drink? I went, nah, I'm off it. And a wee voice inside my head says... You deny them before. <laughs> I'll deny you before my father in heaven. I kid you not, I heard that in my head. And I went, no! Outside W.H. Smith, eight of my mates. I said, listen boys, I'm not half a drink. I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ yesterday. I became a born again Christian. I'm not I'm half a drink, I'm half bigotry, I'm half a I'm not going that way anymore. I'm following Jesus Christ. Total silence. Somebody says, what? I had to say it all again. <laughs> I said it all again, two or three of them went on to their knees, hallelujah, blah, 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 Jimmy, you're going to Hartwood, you've flipped, you've met Jesus, you've flipped, all that stuff. The thing I was fearing most 
I thought was coming upon me. These were mates I knew, were good mates. There were other mates. There were other associates that wouldn't have took that lately, like that. But I thought I would die of embarrassment. And I guess power came on me. I felt my burden fall off my back outside W.H. Smith. I felt the dishonest guy. Everything had de deceived and all that. I felt I tell the truth for the first time in my life. And I stood up for something that was real. Because God was real. And I felt my burden fall off my back. And I felt as light as a feather. I've God put all the mouthpieces in Airdrie in front of me that day. I tell everyone I was a Christian. And... Uh, I forgot to begin a haircut. <laughs> well, I floated up the road that day. I knew I was a changed man and I had, I had, I'd, I'd, I'd stepped over that line. I turned that 180 degree and started to follow Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit was in my life. And I knew he was there. And I knew with him I could do all things. Because he's the one that strengthens me. You see, you only receive the Holy Spirit when you've genuinely repented and believe. You only need the Holy Spirit if you understand that you're called to a life of sharing in Christ's suffering and death, as well as his resurrection. He will give you this life and power if you surrender yours. And let him take control and take you wherever he wants you to take you. It's time to get real. This is a wake-up call. For me first. On you second. You see, if this word is going to empower you, the word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts you, I guarantee you something happens. That's the defibrillator. And the power of the Holy Spirit starts to convict you what God's word does. Bang. It revives you, gives you a new life. See, if there's no fruit of repentance and visibly no change in our lives, we need to ask ourselves, do we have the Spirit of God in us? And therefore we need to ask the question, are we saved? These are hard questions, but it's the truth. Because we're here to do business with an almighty, powerful, loving God. He's a merciful God. But there is no sin too dark, too big, too deep that he can't forgive. Because I couldn't even share half of the stuff with you that I got up to. But you know, I plead the blood of the Lamb every day and ask God to forgive me for the sins I still commit. And I plead the blood of the Lamb. I couldn't stand here and preach God's word without that. If we would repent their sins, he's true and just to forgive us. If we truly believe and want to turn away from the way, if you truly believe and want to turn away from the way you're heading to a radically different way of living, then you desperately, you then you desperately need the Holy Spirit to live that life, because you cannot live this way without the Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead isn't someone we call in for a wee bit of extra power in our lives. Jesus Christ did not die in order to follow us. He died and rose again so that we could forget everything else and follow him to the cross and to true life. Amen. Can we just pray by bow our heads, please? I'm going to pray this prayer. I prayed in a chapel when I was ten. 
and I screamed on God, I remembered it. And when a guy led me to the Lord in 1992, it's a sinner's prayer. God knows your heart, He knows where you're at in life, whether you've wandered or whatever. But this is an MOT check for a Christian as well as a son that doesn't know Jesus. So you can pray for him out loud or into yourself. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross and taking the punishment I deserved. I repent of my sins. I completely, I completely surrender my will to you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my life and fill me with your love and be Lord of my life today. Lord Jesus, you died for me. Now help me to walk away from my old life and live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.